We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into Candlestick Chronicles, a 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Kyle Madsen. I write about the 49ers over at NinersWire.com, part of the USA Today Sports Media Group. And hey, joining me shortly for the first time in a week, Chris Biederman. He covers the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. He is back from his assignment, which I said what it was on Thursday and then proceeded to conceal what he was doing the next two days. <laughs> So, dude, it ruins the bit when you laugh while I'm doing the intro. Um, <laughs> um, no, Chris is here, and we're going to talk about the draft because we haven't gotten to chat about it yet. Gotten some time to digest the 49ers picks and the, uh, the moves. Got some, some free agent news as well to get into. So let's dive in. Blue wire. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. has got him and a second back inside the 30-yard line. Nick Bosa drops Aaron Rodgers for a 13-yard loss. Quick pass caught by Kittle. He dives and he's in. Touchdown 49ers. Hey, you made it back from Mexico. I'm proud of you. Yeah, thank you. Barely. Uh, kind of struggling today. Um, mm-hmm. the, the old stomach is uh, not super thrilled with your guy over here. So... Been uh, been a little bit of a struggle in the return, but um, that didn't stop me from from catching up on everything I missed. And uh, it was great to get away, but I'm uh, I'm happy to to get stuck stuck back into uh, to the draft stuff. You were following you were following the draft from a chair on a beach. Yeah, well, loosely. Like I didn't have my phone with me a whole lot. There were a couple points where I was just sitting by the pool um, and scrolling through Twitter and. Uh, talking about my favorite draft idioms and and fun things like that, but no, yeah. there was there was exactly zero work done aside from that, which I really needed. And um, you know, last couple of years have been rough, and a lot of my friends were there, so it was good to uh, to catch up and do do all those fun sort of Mexico vacation things, even though it was you know only a, only a weekend. Well, now you've got some catching up to do with the draft, so we're going to talk about that. You and I are both in the same spot. The Niners made nine picks. Um, not going to go over all of them again, but we'll kind of sprinkle a little bit um, about each one in here because I think both of us are in the same spot where we're just kind of 
early dives on each of these guys. I've been doing a lot of downloading just in terms of of who these guys are. We had undrafted free agents today. Um, frankly, we've had Warriors playoff games, so there's been there's been a lot going on. But just overall, your thoughts on. I don't want to get into like player specifics because, like I said, I haven't done a super deep dive to talk educatedly enough about each of these guys. But just from a what positions they targeted, what positions they didn't target, did do you have any major takeaways from the nine picks? Yeah, I thought one thing that was interesting um, that I, I listened to John Lynch's press conference on Saturday, and and he was asked by our buddy Matt Mayoko. Um, if there was a, a general theme for this draft, and one thing that Lynch said was that, you know, we didn't really have a lot of needs, right? And so, you know, again, this is a team that's coming off a trip to the NFC Championship game. They did lose some free agents. Um, so they had numbers, uh, they, they could have used numbers at certain positions, and it looked like they did that. So, you know, they, at one, one another thing that stood out was they addressed premium positions. So like they needed offensive linemen, they drafted offensive linemen, they drafted two of those guys. They needed um, a cornerback, they drafted two of those guys. Uh, so with the big takeaways for me, aside from those things, I guess, is it would appear given that they haven't targeted a center that they either think Alex Mack is going to come back or they're going to be able to sign somebody like J.C. Treader to, to just come in and right. Um, and fill in there because I had, I had thought given the fact that the 49ers had, you know, five third round picks over this draft and and the next one combined that they were going to be able and willing potentially to move up in round two, um, to get a center for, for the long haul, but they didn't do that. And they stood pat and they didn't make any trades at all, um, up or down the board, which, which was also pretty interesting. But the fact that with the exception of the Terry and Davis price pick, um, I think, it, it in terms of positional value, I think they did a pretty good job, right? Like Drake Jackson seems like the type of player who might have been a first round pick, had his college career went perfectly, but because the program at USC was in so much flux and he had different defensive coordinators um, wanting him to play in different roles and at different weights, um, you know, he lasted till the end of the second round. And so if this is somebody that the 49ers can create a plan for and Chris Kassarek can coach up, then I potentially like the pick a lot because we had talked about edge being a need, um, you know, to compliment Nick Bosa on the other side of the defensive line. So Drake Jackson certainly seems like a candidate there, right? Um, Tyrion right. Davis price. I mean, we can talk, we could talk to we're like blue in the face on the running back thing. I, like I'm generally against the idea for the 49ers specifically to draft somebody, a running back specifically that early. Right. And so, especially when they just did it last year. Right. And, and that was the thing in watching a little bit of Davis price that I did. He reminded me a lot of Trey Sermon, like like very similar running styles, both between the tackle guys. Um, These aren't your classic outside zone. Uh, stretch the field horizontally type, you know, Raheem Mostert or Elijah Mitchell. In that way, I think Price or Davis Price could be a really nice compliment to Mitchell potentially. But again, like is a second running back worth a third round pick when you have other needs? You can certainly argue that it's not, but it goes back to the point 
of John Lynch saying, we feel like we didn't really have many needs. So, you know, if I think Davis price needs to be really good for that, for that pick to, to come out, you know, it's not like he can't be what Trey Sermon was to the 49ers in 20. He has to be awesome. Yeah. He's got to be good. He's got to be really good. And maybe he will be, I don't know, but so we'll, we'll have to see on that. I like, I like Danny Gray and just the speed element he provides at receiver and just the fact that it's a different skill set. He kind of reminds me of Richie James, but I think probably a, a much better version as a prospect and maybe someone I'm with sure. a little bit more speed. But I, I think when watching him play a, a little bit at SMU, you envision sort of a Richie James type role. And you remember in that 2020 Packers game, that Thursday night game where basically half the Niners were out with COVID. Richie James had a huge, he had what, 180 yards or something. And he was yeah. targeted on bubble screens and he set like a career season high for yards in one game. Right. And so I, I definitely think there's use for somebody like that. And I think with, with the addition of Ray Ray McLeod um, and now Danny Gray, I think the 49ers receiving core is in a much better spot. Um, mm-hmm. We can, we can talk about Devo Samuel too. Obviously that was an important development um, over, over the, the draft weekend, but um, no, I, I think adding versatility to the offensive line with Spencer Burford, somebody they think has tackle and guard flexibility. Um, you know, we talk about the 49ers and their success in the fifth round. I think Samuel Womack is like a classic example of somebody who might have slipped through the cracks for reasons that don't necessarily have to do with whether or not he's going to be good in the NFL, which, you know, we've seen them hit on guys that, that sort of have those traits. I have no idea what to make of Nick Zuckle, <laughs> the Fordham tackle. Um, you know, Kalia Davis, if he comes off his ACL injury, sure. maybe he becomes a good run stuffing tackle in the same way DJ Jones was. Tariq Castro fields a corner from Penn State in the sixth round. Betting on Def- traits. Definitely an interesting guy and somebody that uh, in the research I've done, um, you know, some some draft experts, analysts, whatever you want to call them, had him as a fourth or fifth round guy. So getting him in round six could potentially be a boon, but we'll see. And then Brock Purdy, who I heard Kyle Shanahan talk about his similarities to a former quarterback that they've had in Nick Mullins. So it makes sense, I guess. Like overall, it's hard for me to really have any main take, like any snap judgments on this draft because the 49ers didn't do much trading. Um, They did hit on needs. I like the fact that they went edge in the second round. Um, I'm very curious to see what what happens at center. But overall, I think they struck the right notes. Um, but we won't know about this draft class for at least a couple years, right? It felt like with no trades, they were content sitting at their picks and just going with the best player that fell to them. And that's the big takeaway for me. Is Spencer Burford or Nick Zakel going to be a good NFL player? I don't know, but they're both really athletic and they both, potentially have the athletic good size. And I think the Niners plan is to move them inside where the Niners don't really have a plan right now. So it's a couple of athletic bodies that they can throw at that spot at the guard spots. Cool. Uh, Danny Gray, you mentioned he has elite like game breaking speed. Like some of the touchdowns he scored in college are wild. And I think the same thing goes for a guy like Tariq Castro fields. He's six, two and he runs in the four threes. Uh, Yeah. Bet on that. Late in the sixth round, why not? 
Right. And that was that was kind of the big takeaway for me. And I I I haven't seen it yet with Davis Price. I've seen some people who are really excited about the idea, but given his college production, he had three years. He had one 1,000 yard season. I think in that season, he had 1,003 yards. Um, maybe I'm just, and, and when I watch him, it's like, yeah, you know, it's a good little player, but is he worth a third round pick? That's the issue for me. Um, but maybe he's going to be awesome. And, yeah. and then Jackson, we talked a lot about Edge going in and how. It felt like edge, corner, and safety were all in that same range to me of if a good one falls, just take them because they don't have an, enough good players at that spot on the roster to justify skipping it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think on so on Davis Price, like you remember the NFC championship game. There was a key moment in the fourth quarter when the 49ers had, I think it was a third and two, and they ran Elijah Mitchell and it didn't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, then they decided to try to bring the, uh, or draw the Rams off sides and then punted. And then the very next play, Joukowsky tart drops the interception. And then that, that sequence was, was really the game changing. When I watched Tyrion Davis price, I think of somebody that Kyle Shanahan could potentially feel better utilizing on a crucial short yardage situation, right? Like he's an inside runner. He's bigger than Mitchell. Um, he might just be better equipped to be that between the tackles guy. And like, I, I kind of have a similar thought that I had with, with Trey Sermon last year and that with so many shotgun runs going inside and, um, and, you know, utilizing both power and gap schemes, like it, it seems like that this pick was made particularly to, to, to complement Trey Lance in the running game, right. To do, Mm-hmm. to offer some zone read stuff, right? And in, in a way that um, you can do with Mitchell, but ideally, I think I, I feel similarly to Elijah Mitchell with like I, how I did to regarding Raheem Mostert in that Elijah Mitchell is really good, but he's probably not a guy that you want to have to rely on for 20 carries a game. And okay. so given his speed, maybe the best way to to fill out the rest of your running game is to get a complimentary back who is a little bit more physical, like Davis Price seems to be. But I'm with you in that. Was the third round really the time to do it? I don't know. That's my big question. It's not even the player. It's just the the spot of the draft. But again, they like John Lynch said, they didn't have a ton of needs going in, like really glaring needs. And if he was at the top of the board, like it's kind of hard to argue with that. If he was just the best player and they're like, yeah, we're going to take the best player and this is the guy then I mean, it's kind of hard to argue with. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Um, are we sure the Niners are good at picking in the fifth round? Because our guy Matt Barrows <laughs> tweeted, this is the money round for the 49ers and then listed all the players they've drafted in the fifth round. It's George Kittle. Okay, home run. Dre Greenlaw, double. Maybe a triple. Uh, and then Green, it's like... Greenlaw's a, a good fifth round pick. He is. No, he definitely is. But if George Kittle's a home run, Dre Greenlaw is something less than a home run. But a great you, pick. You, rem- you remember Trent Taylor was viewed as a, as a really good fifth round pick early on before, before the injuries piled up with him. Okay, but that's just right. So that's just it is Trent Taylor's not on the team anymore. It's Colton McKivitz who didn't make the roster out of camp last year. Um, DJ Reed, who they cut. Um, weirdly, Reed's a good sure. player. Reed's I, a good player. I mean, he's a starter in the league and the I think he, that, got, he got cashed out this offseason. The fact they cut him is is weird. But there were just a lot of players where it's like, eh. Like Diamador Lenore and Talanoa Hufanga and Jalen Moore. Like, I got to see it first. I'm from Missouri, Chris. You got to show me. <laughs> um, I don't know. It just, it, it was, it was, it was weird that it's like, yeah, this is the round. It's like, there's a lot of not that awesome players there. I would say, relative to the rest of the league, I think, I mean, typically you get what, one or two players that stick around for the long haul in each draft class just about and so just the ratio of picks they've made in the fifth round to guys who have either become starters in the league or mainstays or in George Kittle's case like one of the team's best players I still think you can say they do a pretty good job in the fifth round um yeah but I mean yeah like I'm counting DJ Reed um even though you know, even though they mishandled him when he had his chest injury, um, Dre Greenlaw was was a really big reason that 2019 was as successful as it was. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, McKivitz, you can punt. Um, I I think I like Jalen Moore more than most people, and it wouldn't surprise me if Jalen Moore's starting it somewhere on the offensive line this year. Right. Um, we'll see with Lenore. It, it was kind of rocky, and I think Hufanga is... Whether or not Hufanga is starting, I think he's going to be a guy who who plays a lot. Around. He plays. Okay. He's going to play a lot as like a third safety or and and or special teams guy. But um, no, I mean Sam Womack. Like the reason why Sam Womack ended up going to Toledo was because he didn't he played basketball in high school and didn't go on college recruiting trips, um, and right. so he had to walk on. And, and got a scholarship in his second year and then got a scholarship in his second year and was a two-time captain. So like stuff like that really makes me optimistic. And and the fact that, you know, he plays fast, um, he's aggressive and, and he fills that need potentially a nickel. Um, right. I do think 
if we're looking sort of at commonalities with that with successful players of 49ers have drafted in in round five i think sam samuel womack has some of those um yes. but again it's so it's so early like it's impossible to know he big, definitely like, has he definitely has dj reed vibes i think you might yeah. have said that somebody said that that's not a kyle original thought no i have not said that samuel womack has dj reed vibes but um i could definitely see that yeah, I, I, I had not. Di- other, I, I have not taken the dive into this draft class until Monday morning. So the other, so the other thing we're doing this Monday night, by the way. So the other thing yeah. that sticks out to me is how many players are. I think if the Niners had their druthers, would be productive next year. Like, I think this year they would prefer it be Traverius Ward. Ambry Thomas and Emmanuel Mosley are the three corners in in nickel packages with Mosley sliding down uh, to the slot. But then when Mosley's a free agent and they need a nickel, I think they'd prefer that Womack be that. And if Tariq Castro Fields turns into a good corner, then great. Um, same thing with um, with like Danny Gray. Maybe he's not awesome this year, but what can he do next season? Yeah, so one thing about the nickel spot, I know a lot of people have mentioned that they think Emmanuel Mosley could slide back in. I haven't heard anything to that effect that like that's that's the plan from the team side. Mm-hmm. Um, and I asked Fred Warner about it when we had a mail uh, availability last week, and he said, um, you know, he mentioned Darkies Denard and Dante Johnson as guys that like you know, because I asked him about chemistry and sort of what's his process for going about trying to like, what's his role in trying to overcome the absence of K1 Williams after he'd been there for so long. And the guy that he mentioned was dark. He's and it was like, Oh, he didn't even say Emmanuel. Mose. So I don't know. I, I, I just don't know because the, the last time Emmanuel Mosley played cornerback was when Robert Sala was, um, the defensive coordinator and, um, Played nickel corner. Yeah. And I'm and I'm blanking on um he's currently the coach of BC. Jeff Halfley. Jeff Halfley was was a secondary coach. Thank you. So I don't I don't know that Emmanuel Mosley is going to kick inside. It would it would seem to make sense, but um that'll be something that's gonna be very interesting to watch as as we do get to see these guys on the practice field at some point during spring OTAs. I'm fascinated that they continue drafting offensive tackles to play guard. Like when was the they drafted Banks, who is a guard, but Jalen Moore, tackle that they want to move to guard. Colton McKivitz, tackle that they want to move to guard. Nick Zakel, tackle that they want to move to guard. Spencer Burford played some guard, but mostly a tackle that they want to move to guard. It's so interesting to me that they continue doing that. Burford to me looks like a swing cap tackle candidate. Really? But who could but who could also play inside? Um, but so What's interesting to me is is that the way the 49ers view the offensive line, they view tackle and guard being more interchangeable than guard and center. Right. Right. And we were talking like they don't they've done it a little bit with like Daniel Brunskill out of necessity, but they haven't there's like centers in Kyle Shanahan's offense are very have very strictly been centers. They don't like they wouldn't. They, they, and I know we talked about it, but they wouldn't draft 
like a center or they haven't drafted a center to like play at guard and then eventually move him to center. Right. And one thing that's really stood out to me about Cam Jurgens, who went to Philadelphia early in the second round, the center from um, Nebraska, who I thought the 49ers might try to move up for. He runs around like a tight end and he's like barely 300 pounds, but he's not a guy I could envision playing guard in Kyle Shanahan's offense. But you did hear he was like the prototypical center for Kyle Shanahan's offense. Right. Right. So center is super specific, I guess, is is what I'm trying to say in that, you know, and, and it would make sense given that the 49ers did prioritize signing Weston Richburg by paying him a ton of money relative to the position. Um and then obviously going to get Alex Mack. But yeah, I think I was wrong with it, just the the overall thought that like, oh, maybe they could just draft a center and then play him at guard. And like seeing exactly what type of players they've preferred at center, I can see why they don't love those guys at guard. But it might be a little it might make things a little bit tougher on them from a roster building perspective. The fact that they don't have that flexibility, but maybe that's how they make up for it by having guys who can play guard and tackle. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that makes sense. And there's probably an athleticism factor too. Yeah. I mean, guys who are strictly guards are not with, with all the different, with all the different running plays and screen plays, they really ask a lot of their guards in terms of like getting up field to block at the second and third level. So Mm -hmm. having, having that athleticism of tackles at guard is pretty important. Yeah. That makes sense. One of their one of their undrafted free agents was Donovan West, who was a center at ASU. And he was a player that a lot of people thought would be drafted by the 49ers. I think Dane Brugler had him as like a potential fifth round pick or gave him a fifth round grade or whatever. So that's kind of interesting that they didn't draft that spot, but they did sign an undrafted free agent. And he's that same kind of thing. He's not not super big. Um, not crazy athletic, but does have experience playing center. Yeah. And for John Lynch's guy, Herm Edwards. <laughs> yeah. And with undrafted free agents, you can follow the money, right? They guaranteed him a hundred grand, which is generally about what the most, uh, a UDFA will get. So right. that would indicate that he's got a pretty good chance at, you know, maybe supplanting Jake Brendel like, or competing with Jake Brendel. Right. And then, you know, maybe if he, can develop he could eventually start but did um, you see carson strong got like three hundred thousand guaranteed there must have been a lot of competition for his services then apparently good for him that's crazy yeah anyways Sac- sacramento no vacaville vacaville native carson strong i believe is that what he is i believe Go back, so. huh? yeah Carson Strong, Vacaville. This is good podcasting. This is really good. So while you're doing that, I'm going to talk about Jason Barrett, who the 49ers signed. He is from Vacaville. We're good. Shout out. Shouts. So Jason Barrett is back with the 49ers, which is, I don't want to say wild, but it was unexpected to me. I figured after a second injury in three years, it would just be, they're going to move on. We saw him sign Traverius Ward. They drafted, they re-signed uh, Darquise Denard. They drafted two corners. They re-signed Dante Johnson. It just felt like they were just kind of kind of move on from Jason Verrett. But uh, after tearing his ACL in week one last year, he's back. 
and it'll probably be like a battle for like a veteran like of the several veterans on the roster like they'll keep one as like a reserve corner yeah and look like I think it's kind of one of those things where it's like there's nothing to lose, like there's nothing but upside. And obviously, yeah. the big the big difference between bringing back Jason Verrett now versus bringing him back last year is that they don't necessarily have to count on him, right? Like they have yeah. starting yeah. they have starting caliber cornerbacks. So if Jason Verrett does stay healthy, at least you know, and through training camp and plays at a high level and makes the team again, and if he plays like he did in 2020 then you really might be cooking with gas with Verrett playing opposite Traverius Ward, right? But then if Verrett gets hurt, you're not in a position where you have to go make Josh Norman a starter mm-hmm. um, because you do have other guys. You still have a Emmanuel Mosley. You still have Dante Johnson. Um, you know, you you definitely feel you have Diamador Lenore, you have uh, Ambry Thomas. Like you feel way better about the 49ers cornerback situation this offseason than you did last last offseason. So the, so the context of bringing Verrett back is completely different. Right. Um, I don't really have a problem with it because, again, like if he gets hurt, now you actually have guys who can who can play at at least at a replacement level, which right. they, which they didn't have early last season, which was a huge reason that um, the secondary sort of struggled during their four game losing streak. But, um, you know, we'll see, like, I think so much of it is just the respect that they have for him. Like the totally the amount of work he puts in the veracity, like the intensity that, uh, ferocity, not veracity. That's, that's a wrong, the, the wrong word, but ferocity that he approaches his rehab with the fact that he's like a quality veteran in the room. Um, he really knows the game really well. Um, so I get the appeal of bringing him back, but I, I think I like it more this year for the 49ers because they do have potential replacements when, if, and when he does get hurt again. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the things is like depth and quality depth, not just having bodies, but having people that can actually play. And in 2020, he was like a pro bowl caliber cornerback for 13 games. Yeah. Like he can play, he can play, man. It's just a matter of whether he can stay healthy. And if he's in a spot that he can get through camp and break camp as a reserve where he plays a handful of snaps here and a handful of snaps there and can get through a season healthy, maybe maybe he signs a nice little deal next offseason somewhere. But I'm rooting for him, man. Anybody yeah. who goes what he's gone through and continues to try and play, like I, I respect the hell out of that because yeah. I know... My personality, I would have punted a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, to a man, everybody raves about him as just being a high quality human. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see if, you know, when when the roster crunch happens and they do have to make final cuts, it's the cornerback's going to be pretty fascinating because they do have more bodies than they can carry now, which hasn't always mm-hmm. been the case. And so it, they might actually have they might actually cut a couple guys couple corners who end up latching on elsewhere on, on other 53 men rosters, which is not something we would have said um, certainly last year. But it's, it it's, I think a good sign for this off season, like, has it been a home run off season? No, but it hasn't been a total failure in part because of what you just said, 
they might wind up in a position where they have six corners that you feel at least okay about if they're on the field. Yeah. Versus one. <laughs> right. Which is which is where they were at for a lot of last year. So and even that one, it was like, it was like Emmanuel Mosley. It wasn't like a star. Right. He had a good year last year, but I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it doesn't look like they'll be in a spot where they'll have to pay Drake or Patrick to play football. Oof. Yeah. Um, I mean, the biggest takeaway to, I guess, moving the discussion a completely different place is the fact that they didn't trade Debo. Yes. Um, and it's been, you know, I've, I've gotten, I've never had the feeling that they were going to trade Debo because it just didn't really make any sense to just cave to his whim when it's, especially after AJ Brown got traded that there seems like a very clear, at least outline to what a contract could look like. And I think one that Debo would be amenable to. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Kyle Shanahan and Debo haven't really talked all that much and the fact that the 49ers are always more willing to do these types of deals in July or at least right before the start of training camp. It feels like if these guys just get in the room and hammer out their differences and the Niners put a big ass number of guaranteed dollars on the table that Debo Samuel's eventually going to sign. And this is no longer going to be a thing. That's just like been my Niners... impression the entire time. And now it's even further solidified by the fact that the 49ers did not trade him. So two things on this, two things on this one. I think if the Niners thought like, man, we messed up, there's no way he's coming back. They would have just traded him for whatever. Right. But they're clearly of the mind like, yeah, this is they. this can be fixed. This is whatever's happening is irrational. I'm under the the, the, I'm under the impression that Debo Samuel changes his mind a lot (laughs) or is prone prone to change among us. Right. So one of the um, one of the other interesting things, Matt Barrows reported that the Jets offered number 10 and a fifth for Debo and number 61. And that the Lions came in with a quote unquote light offer as well, which makes me wonder if that's even more leverage for the 49ers. It's not like teams are falling over themselves to try and acquire this guy. And if if he's if he's of the mind that there are fi- there are 15 teams that would sign him to a 4 and 100 with 60 guaranteed tomorrow i feel like you might be mistaken given that the, that team's going to have to give up draft capital as well and that was really really interesting to find out about the jets they wanted the second round pick attached to it right and aj brown went to the Eagles for 18 and 101 with no pick attached. So it's yeah. I thought that was I thought that was pretty telling for what what his value might be league wide. To me, the and you know, I thought this before the draft and before the AJ Brown trade, like yeah, I, I understand receivers are cashing out and they're getting a ton of money, particularly in the case of Tyree Kill and Devontae Adams. But there have never been more good receivers in the league than there are right now. Right. And a bunch of these guys come in to the league every year, it seems like. So while receivers are getting paid more than they ever have, there is also more supply than there's ever been. 
Mm-hmm. So like supply and demand just aren't really matching up, which which I think to your point, given what the trade offers were, Debo doesn't have a whole lot of leverage. I never thought he's had a whole lot of leverage here. Yeah. Because he's under contract based on the way the CBA works. Holdouts are really, really tough. And if Debo, you know, needs money right now, then it would be really tough for him to bite the bullet and and lose 50k a day by not showing up to training camp right and so i just keep going back to the 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 idea that kyle shanahan and debo samuel had such a good relationship last year and talked about all the conversations they had about life and um you know fatherhood and all that stuff in shanahan's office before and after practice and whatever like it's just it's just very odd that it went from that to debo demanding a trade because the two sides are so far off, but that's also what gives me reason that they can figure this thing out and come back together. And the 49ers can, can soothe C- Debo's anguish with just a new contract. Yeah. That's the direction. It felt like it was headed before the draft, but then when the jets got on the clock at 10, I just got this, like, it was like, Oh man, they could really trade him. Like, this might actually go down. But the fact it was so quiet leading up to the draft and there were so many conflicting, like, yeah, then this guy thinks it might happen. And then there were other reporters saying, like, no chance it happens. It was just, I don't know. That was the only point that I was like, man, they might actually trade him. I was getting I was getting kind of annoyed at the. um, At the reporting surrounding some of those trade offers and not Barrows, but there was another reporter who I think his wording was people around the league view the Jets as the front runners to land Debo Samuel. And to me, that was just incredibly misleading because it was the caveat is the 49ers have to trade him. (laughs) Right. So if the 49ers do decide to trade him, then yeah, the Jets might be the front runners. But just saying the Jets are the front runners to land Debo Samuel makes it sound like the 49ers are very likely trading Debo Samuel. And I was never under that impression based on what I had heard. So anyway, like uh, there's there's so much there. I don't want to get in a rant about, you know, different reporters and how how they go about their jobs. But um, I would just always say consider the source when you're reading things like that and think about who has a track record of being right and who we all know is really plugged in and who might just be sometimes plugged in. Um, Because in in reality, when it comes to the biggest stories in the league, there are probably a handful of people within each organization that really know the truth. And just because some people have sources doesn't mean that sources at the top or knows exactly what the truth is. Um, That's super important to, that's super important to keep in mind throughout this spring and summer. Yeah. Because there's going to be more Debo stuff. And just consider the source always. Yes. I would agree. That's all. You got anything else for us? I don't. I'm going to go eat some Tums and uh smart man. You know, I don't I've I had heard rumors of what Mexico can do to your stomach, but now I'm um experiencing those things, so we will uh we will recover we will bounce back strong and um yeah we'll have more on, Good luck. on the draft class and the off season and all of those things
Yeah, I need to do a lot more watching before I'm going to... I refuse to be... I refuse to be the person that has a take based on what Mel Kuyper said and what an NFL.com draft profile said. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have I'm gonna, to... I'm going to watch and provide a take. Yeah, I have to... I, That's I have my to, goal this year. I have to watch a little bit to at least decide. You know, I, I read other opinions because there are other people who have poured over these guys much longer than I have, but... Correct. For me to like develop takes, I actually need to watch some some of them for themselves. Yeah. And it's a lot harder if, to like really get invested in breaking down the draft when the team you cover doesn't have a first round pick. Yeah, that was weird. It was a really weird first night. Because like, huh. Right. Every year leading up to the draft, and this is the first draft I have not covered at 49ers headquarters since 2013. And mm-hmm. I, I used to spend weeks like just watching yes. prospects. Yes. And I literally did zero of that this time. <laughs> you watched Cam Jurgens. Don't sell yourself short. Well, I watched Cam Jurgens because I had to come up with the, a pre, pre-draft take before I went on the wild. Game. The wild thing to me was how all we heard leading up to the draft is how this wasn't a good draft and this isn't a deep draft. Yet on day three and round six, people are like, wow, that's a steal. <laughs> like, Man, what? I didn't. I thought this wasn't a good draft. Well, one thing that was interesting every about, pick it, was good. about about it too was because of COVID, there were so many draft eligible players. Yeah, there were like um, what six hundred or something crazy like that. Yeah, so there were more than usual. But yeah, we'll see. We, it's far too early to really take anything away from draft grades, but we will uh, we'll analyze this class a little bit more as we go along. Yeah, we'll do deeper dives for sure. Happy you're back, man. Thanks, man. I'm sure the listeners are back. as well because they didn't need to listen to me drone on and on and on. I heard, Tracy, I heard you were fine. Tracy, Tracy bailed me out on Saturday, though. So yeah. I need to go it. back and listen, actually. I've not listened to that one Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, subscribe, rate, review if you have not. We'll talk to you guys next time. See you. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.